Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 66, the best movie sequels. Chris McBride here, along with Yancey Eaton. It's Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. And Yancey Eaton, my man, we had to take last week off because you were gone. What happened? Where'd you go? Tell us. Uh, so I spent the like three, four days in California with uh, our buddy Sammy Reed, who's been on the podcast a couple times, one of the only uh, multi-time guests we've had on the show. Uh, it was actually the first time Sammy, Sammy and I have hung out in the flesh, and uh, I stayed in like a gigantic beach house with you know, all of Sammy's best friends, people he's known for 15, 20 years, and I was like that weird, uh, you know, the weird guy that everybody knew kind of from Twitter, but uh, it was really, really crazy. A bunch of us went skydiving and went paintballing, and uh, I tried in and out for the first time, you know, just, it was the first time I saw mountains, first time I ever had sake at a sushi place like it was just a weekend of first and just hanging out with Sammy and um, you know just kind of sending him off as he was preparing you know this was his bachelor party weekend and you know he gets married pretty soon but it was a really wild weekend it was something that I, I, I never thought I would do you know just going to hang out with a bunch of uh, you know loose acquaintances from the internet and uh, yeah it was a really really good time can't believe I actually did it man that's awesome and that's really where where we're at isn't it like we have lots of friends that we've never actually physically met you and I have never yep. been in the same room together we've never physically met nope unfortunately not um I mean that's something you and I obviously we talk about a lot hoping to plan it out there um, my wife she has very little interest in going to Canada uh, so <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of holding us back a little bit but I mean for sure as soon as it works out as far as scheduling and logistics goes Chris and I will be hanging out in you know downtown Toronto catch some games I know Chris you've been down here in Florida a couple times you've been on like Sanibel and stuff so obviously yeah. the next time you're in Florida you and I will meet up but uh I've, been, you know, I've, I've, I've actually been to I've, I've been to your I've been to Fort Myers before oh wow see you know, yeah so years you, before you, obviously I ever knew you but you know I've been to your neck of the woods I've been around there Bonita Springs I've been all around that area Yep, you need to do it again, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll go get like a sandwich or something. Yeah, for sure. Well, like, like I said, we got to get you up to Canada. That's my goal is to get you up to Canada at some point because it would be a great experience for you. You know, experiencing. Let me put things in perspective. What what how how nice of a day is it there today? Uh, it's like seventy. It's it's still pretty nice down here too. To be honest with you, I had to get out the snowblower and start it up and blow about four inches of snow out of my driveway when I got home from oh, work. Thanks. Yeah, so yeah, no a little bit of a perspective. We're, we'll bring you up here in the summertime so you miss all that stuff. But really, you should come up in the winter just so you can experience it. Mm -hmm. you know, I think it'd be an experience. I wanted to point out something before we get started. You sure. know, you and I have had a lot of back and forth in this podcast here about how the millennial generation, you know, is so much better than my generation. You know? like, <laughs> Come on. You know, this like, goes both ways, Chris. Come on. But, it's not but, me picking on you. <laughs> but this is true. But that's because that's no, my point is that the, the Generation X has much better pop culture, right? That's the whole point, right? But you've okay, you've, you've mentioned to me many times about how things have progressed over the years and how much more advanced and enlightened, you know, we've become as a society. Oh, hoity -toity. Yes, we're all intellectuals that were exactly. born. Exactly. You know, but be something. before you get all too almighty on me here, Yancey, I just wanted to point out one thing to you, okay? I want to What's point that? out. I want to point out the fact that it's it's 2018, and we literally have to tell people not to eat Tide Pods. <laughs> so just an observation, okay, my this friend. This is this is correct. <laughs> yes, this okay. is all factually true. Yeah. Okay. You ready to get started? Yeah, man. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Phoebe Cates in the red bikini scene. Jody loves chachis. Gotta like it. <laughs> Didn't she die the same day as Michael Jackson? This but you did meet Fred Savage once. 
What's Ben Savage. Ben Savage. Because around here, Yancey is the baby-faced one, and I, of course, am the ladies' man. I'm a huge fan of, like, that, that feathered look that the women of the 60s and 70s did with their hair. Somewhere on your smartphone there, young man. You can look it up. Is it still around? It was the two Corys. It was Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. I actually feel really bad for the guy. But- and I had... You just crush on Sue's Thirsty. Who are these people? <laughs> okay, so everybody loves a good sequel. Well, if, if they're good, that is, you know, maybe not. Um, so we decided this week we would take a, a rundown at our top five favorite movie sequels of all time. We've been talked about this before on the podcast. And we fed, figured it, it makes a pretty good topic because, you know, you know, we just, we love movies, obviously you and I, and, um, and there's a lot of sequels out there, especially in the uh, in the, the millennial generation, which we're going to get to. But most sequels suck. <laughs> you know, it's pretty obvious, right? We know that, right? Correct. Um, yep. So we thought we would come in and we'll do our top five list. We do them all the time on this show. We'll do we'll run down our top five favorite sequels. We'll go back and forth and compare our generation lists and that sort of thing. But before we do that, I think we need to get something out of the way. I, th- I think mm-hmm. we, I think we both are going to pretty much agree on the, the fact that it's pretty obvious that you know. We, we're going to agree on this, that the number one sequel of all time, the, there's one that stands out so much further ahead of all the other sequels. And luckily enough, it's from my generation. But I think we both agree, you know, sort of indisputably, that the greatest movie sequel of all time, Yancey, is... Dumb and Dumber-er. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, that one was an awesome one, wasn't it? It actually wasn't bad. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, The Empire Strikes Back is the greatest Correct. sequel ever made, hands down. There's no question. It's so we figured we would just kind of get this out of the way and talk a bit about up front because it'd just be a bit redundant if it's number one on both our lists. It takes away from some of our other movies. So why don't we just both agree Empire Strikes Back is the greatest movie sequel ever made, and then we'll do sort of our next top five. We agree on that one, right? Yep, absolutely. So we're really doing like a two through six or something. Yeah, basically, I guess. But uh, a couple of things, a couple of notes about Empire Strikes Back. I just want to I want to, I want to put this to bed, you know, this issue here, because this all this episode four, episode five you know, I want to the only reason I'm bringing this up, Yancey, is because obviously I lived through this stuff. All right. I mean, like I was there in 77 and watched the movie in the theaters, the original film. And I remember when they started working on the sequel, the working title for the movie was any idea what the working title for the sequel was? Want to take a guess? Uh- Star Wars 2. Absolutely. It was Star was it Wars. Really? It was Star Wars 2 and they were going to call it Star Wars 2. That's what the the movie theme, the movie studio <laughs> wanted to call it Star Wars 2. That's what it was. And when and then it was released on May 17th, 1980, right? They obviously called it The Empire Strikes Back. And it really wasn't until the original movie Star Wars was re-released in 1981 that they added that stupid episode 4 a new hope crap in the opening crawl. God, that's so stupid. So I just want to just put that to bed that, you know, like at the time it was just, it was a Star Wars sequel and it was going to be called Star Wars two. They decided to call it Empire Strikes Back. All that other, you know, ideas of like nine series, three prequels, three, you know, sequel things, all that, that all came later, you know, but at the time it was just the Empire Strikes Back. Right. Mm -hmm. But the thing is for me, and we mentioned this on a previous podcast as well, to me, Empire Strikes Back is not only the greatest sequel of all time. For me, it's the greatest science fiction film ever made. You know, it's got a planet covered in snow. You know, it's got wampas and tauntauns and the Imperial Walkers. By the way, eight 
that's ADATs, not ATATs. You know, just you know. Right. Like he, this has been established, Chris. Uh, yes. Phil Tippett himself <laughs> settled that argument for us. You know, the great Phil Tippett. Uh, but you know, the other things in the movie's got like you know Han Solo frozen in carbonite, the city in the clouds, a swamp planet. You can go on and on and on. Right. It is the greatest piece of science fiction ever created and put on film. That's what I would say. In addition to being the greatest sequel of all time, correct? I mean, it, it sounds hyperbolic what you're saying, but I mean. My, my first instinct is just say like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. But then really, what else would you put there as far as like a full, you know, an actual body of science fiction? So, um, I mean, I'd have to think about it. But I mean, there's like a 95 percent chance that I think I would end up completely agreeing with you. It's just it's so perfect. It, it really is. I mean, as a sequel, as a standalone, as part of a trilogy, it's just I mean, it's a masterpiece. It really and, is. And when you think of the pressure that was on that when it came out, like unbelievable. Like, cause it, at the time, Star Wars was the highest grossing film of all time. It was just such a phenomenon in the late 70s. It just took over everything. And then all of a sudden, oh, they're going to make a sequel to it. Well, you know what? Back then, it was like sequels were never as good as the original. So, you know, okay, well, it's just going to be what it is. They're going to try and rehash the stupid story. and wait, But lo and behold, it was phenomenal. And uh, anyway, we just wanted to get that out of the way. Empire Strikes Back, greatest ever. So let's get to our uh, our top five. We'll start at number five and work our way to one. Or as, you know, like you said, maybe six to two. But we'll start at number five. I'll let you start. So your number five favorite sequel of all time, Yancey. I'm very curious to know what your list is going to look like tonight, young man. So go ahead. Take us away. So doing research for the show, I felt like there were a lot of answers that um, they're probably the right answers. Um, but I went from, you know, like always like a personal enjoyment level, like how many times have I actually watched the films? How much did I enjoy them? And I try not to, I, I try not to just like say what like the critical answer is, like what, what the consensus most agreed upon one is. So you're going to hear me the, leave uh, out some, sorry, some names. The, the textbook answer as people sometimes say that I have. Yeah, the, yeah. the textbook, the chalk answer. Yes. So I'm, I'm trying to leave some of those out just because like from a personal enjoyment standpoint, I understand um, just how powerful they are as like standalone pieces of art and I'm not discrediting them at all. I'm just talking about for you, you guys come here for the Yance takes and I'm going to give them to you. So number five for me is the Jurassic Park sequel, The Lost World. It is mm. awesome. It was directed by Steven Spielberg, released in 1997, which is kind of like right in my wheelhouse as far as like the age goes. Um, the gap between the sequel and the original was 47 months, which I think is a really nice kind of like happy, you know, like it, it wasn't so long. You kind of forgot about the film and you still had a lot of the same characters in it. Um, but it was enough time to where they really were able to develop the movie out and make it kind of how they wanted it. Um, I actually think that this movie, and I know this is heresy to a lot of people, but I think this movie is better than the original, Whoa, um, which really? which I think is a good mark of a you know of how we huh. stack up with sequels. It's sure, rare that sure. you see a blockbuster be better than you know the original, but you know a lot of people say like The Godfather, the second one is better than the first one, or um, I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head, but all five of like, my examples are really really close. Okay, so yeah, so, so you, we'll see. you you can kind of understand what I'm yeah. saying, but like, so like with this with this movie, it takes Jurassic Park and it's less of let's just be in awe of dinosaurs, and it actually it, it's almost more of a horror, more of a dark film. You know, instead of having two super whiny, annoying, prepubescent kids, you only have one. You know what I mean? So that's that's less kind of like uh, giving the audience what they want as far as like kids and stuff, and it's more of an adult movie. Uh, Jeff Goldblum is back in the movie, but he's also joined by like Julianne Moore and Vince Vaughn's in it. All the acting is really really strong in it. There's the one scene. I think is like one of the most iconic scenes I've ever seen in any type of action film where Julianne Moore is, you know, they're in the, the van and it's like falling down and, you know, the grass is, clack, is cracking underneath her and she's trying to hold still and you see it slowly starting to splinter. I think that's just one of the most like just everybody can relate to that. It's such a simple scenario, but it just gets this such a visceral reaction from you. I think the movie as a whole is just 
it's just perfect. I mean, it takes all the parts that we loved from Jurassic Park, and it was still super, um, you know, it, it, it did it did service to the first film, and it was a nice continuation of it, but it was also its own standalone film. And then you've seen with the later ones, I feel like Jurassic World, which is at this point now the newest one with, um, uh, I forgot his name, the, the, the guy off of um, Parks and Recreation, uh, he... Um, he, he does a great job. The film was great. It, it made a ton of money, but I feel like it was just a continuation of the same stuff. You know what I mean? There wasn't any new ideas. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't super dark, but um, this was an original sequel, if that can make sense. It was a, it was building upon an original story, and it just said, it did it in a very, very like interesting, amazing way that was super, super dark, even though like it was kind of geared towards kids. So uh, Jurassic Park, the Lost World number two of the sequel, or of the uh, trilogy, rather is uh, my number five. Wow. I'm a little bit surprised that you would put that ahead of the original Jurassic Park because I'm a huge fan of the original Jurassic Park as well, as well as you are. I know you are. Um, But I I was a little disappointed in the sequel. There were parts of it that I thought were good. I thought the scene in the barn when when, when they were trying to go up to the ceiling and the raptors were in, that was cool. Um, But to me, here's the thing with that movie. There's a a scene and, and it just happens right at the end when the ship crashes and the T-Rex gets out and starts going around San Diego. Yeah. And to me, that only lasts for like five minutes. And to me, I would have liked to have seen that more because to me, that right there was King Kong to the max. Yep. You know, and so I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. Um, but overall, yeah, no, I thought it, it was, it was good. I enjoyed it. I also liked when they were up in the, 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 the high hide or whatever they called it. And then all the, the raptors were running through the cornfield and you could see them kind of all coming in on them. Like There's, picking so them off one yeah, by one. Yeah. Like stuff. that was pretty yeah, cool. Absolutely. There was, there were some good things about it, but no, I thought, I thought the original was better, but anyway, okay. that's what Fair I about. Uh, okay. So here's one example. My number five is the original was better than this one, but this one was pretty close and that's airplane to the sequel. It came out in 1982 and it's just basically it is a a real rehash of what happens in airplanes. So the idea is, and you've seen airplane because I made you watch it here on the I actually have. Yes, I have. So great. So in this one, in the sequel, it's just more of the same. It's just sight gags nonstop a mile a minute. Unbelievable. Is it a lot of the same cast? uh, There is some of the same cast. And then what they did was they went out like, like Robert Hayes is in it and Julie Haggerty, but then they went out and got like some other people and, um, Oh, what you would call it? Um, William Shatner. So they, they, cause, cause remember the first movie and like Peter Graves is back and stuff like that. But one of the cool things with, with the original movie to me was they got a lot of actors who were known for serious work. Like, I mean, at the time, Leslie Nielsen was a serious actor. You know, mm-hmm. and Peter Graves and guys like that, Robert Stack. That's so hard to believe about I know. Nelson. Like, this, like well, I can't picture him being a serious actor the at all. Movie, this movie turned around his career, right? He, he sort of reinvented himself. And another person that reinvented himself as a result of you know, these movies was in this second one. That was William Shatner. Up until then, he was James T. Kirk, right? And that's pretty much all that he did. And then he came out with this and then they realized, hey, man, he's pretty funny, too. He can be really funny. And it wasn't long after this, about three years after this, four years after this, Actually, it was 1986 when he went on Saturday Night Live and did that famous sketch. Have you ever seen the Get a Life sketch or heard about that? I don't, I don't think I have. Okay, now. so what I want you to do is make some notes. Okay, so I want you to go to YouTube and I want you to find SNL Get a Life. And what it is, is it's William Shatner's, you know, the host that week. And what he does is he basically plays himself. He's William Shatner. And he's at one of these like Comic-Con conventions. He's at like a Star Trek convention. And he realizes just how silly everyone is. So he just starts yelling at them. He gets up on the, on stage, gets okay. on the microphone. He's like, what do you, what's wrong with you people? Get a life. What do you, you live in your parents' basements? He's like, you with the, with the plastic ears, with the spock ears. Have you ever kissed a woman? Like he just starts <laughs> going after him. And it's so funny. Is and it with Phil Hartman? What's that? Phil Hartman is in this, is in the scene as well. Yep. Okay. And, yeah, so I, 
Right. I'm telling you, man, it, like, so he really kind of reinvented himself. But in this movie, in Airplane 2, the sequel, the idea is there's like a lunar shuttle, okay, like 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 the space shuttle, and it's going to the moon. And so people have paid and bought tickets to go there, but it like gets sidetracked and starts aiming toward the sun. So then they have Wait, to try and the, the premise of the film is they're going to the moon. They're going to the moon. There's a there's a there's a there's, there's a base on the moon. <laughs> exactly. And this then, is so stupid. It's so funny. I haven't even seen it. No, yeah. but trust me, you'd, you'd like it. And oh, man, it's so good. And my two favorite characters from the first first movie Scott and Arthur the two jive guys they're not back just one of them is back but he does a scene in the courtroom and it's just so funny he's describing like what happens to the airplane it's either because they get him and they put him on trial they're like what happened like in the first movie like did Robert Hayes's character Ted Stryker right like what happened with Stryker and then he just comes in and starts talking jive and it's like you know wrap that sucker around a runway like a mother hush and it's just it's so funny I love it I love airplane I love it to death airplane 2 the sequel is great too so it's number five for me very nice. Um, you know, I didn't think about that, but as I was like going through, you know how like you'll you'll just like Google like lists of like sequels and stuff. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't like forgetting something. Like I've forgotten about like really really big stuff before, and I kind of felt stupid. And I saw Airplane Two, and I was like, oh, like I guess there's a sequel. Like it would make sense that there would be. I just never you know thought to watch it. But I I literally thought to myself, Chris, I'm like. McBrien's going to talk about that tonight. He is. He's going to throw that out there. He has to. There's no way he can't not talk about it. So, and I don't want. And I, sh- I would be remiss if I didn't also mention one of my favorite uh, people in that movie was Sonny Bono. So Sonny Bono was in it too. You have to watch it. Like it's so hard to explain, but oh, it's good. People that are listening that know Airplane Two the sequel are like, yes, yes, you're right. It is a good one. So, yep, absolutely. Okay, you're number four. What do you got? All right, so number four for me is probably going to be my least popular pick of the entire show, and it's Prometheus. It came out in 2012, and it was directed by the original Ridley Scott. Um, I think it surprised a lot of people that he would actually revisit this, um, considering the fact that the gap between the sequel and the original was 399 months, so obviously quite some time. Um, The thing about Prometheus is it is – uh, it is very divisive as far as what people thought of it, especially diehard fans of the original Aliens. Um, it is it is not like your typical, you know, like what you come to think of as far as like a a pure thriller or a pure horror film. You know, there's not like the the just the trademark, you know, aliens and action scenes and just like the really really tense uh, scenes that you you've come used to as far as this franchise goes. But it is more of like a mind, uh, like a mind kind of tease thing and it plays on more of like the actual origins of, of of mankind basically like this doctor trying to you know go to this this very very far off place finding little clues on earth from you know ancient civilizations here on earth you know from tens of thousands of years ago and basically just trying to find out like what actually happened with you know why why were we brought here why were we created who is our maker uh any any movie that really touches on that like the actual origins of life i think is really really interesting to me and it's just like a new take on like you know what it what is creationism versus Versus, you know, any other type of, you know, religiosity that people might have. But it's a super, super unique movie. Um, I think it's a real big departure from a lot of the other Ridley Scott films that we have seen in the past. It does stand up as far as leaving a lot of stuff to interpretation, leaving things very, very ambiguous. Um, it's shot amazingly. Guy Pierce uh, is in this, and he's absolutely fantastic. That, like I said, this is a movie that pissed off a lot of people, and it left them with more questions than answers. But um, like with The Matrix and like a lot of other movies that I've mentioned in the past, the more you watch this, the more you will actually understand it a lot more. And you will get some of those answers, but not all of them. This is a franchise that isn't done yet. It's still very much, uh, you know, in transition and like it's still building upon with future movies set to be released. But I just thought it was one of the coolest, like just most visually, aesthetically pleasing, uh, weirdly, uh, just weirdly 
you know, alien sci-fi that I have seen in a long time. And like, it really like made me think for months and months and months. I've watched this probably 10, 15 times in the last couple of years since it's been out. And, uh, I just think it's an actual, like a complete masterpiece that a lot of people dog, but I frankly, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. So, so, so what you're saying is, so Prometheus is a sequel to alien. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. But it's like a little ways down the line, obviously, because they've made a bunch much, of much, uh, okay. much, much oh, further. Okay. Yes, much further. But it's, it is a continuation of that same franchise. It just touches on uh, it, it kind of takes a different route than what we're used to seeing as far as like the alien films go. But yeah, yeah. It, it confused a lot of people. And like I said, it, it gave them a lot more questions than answers. Ah, this is why I like doing this podcast. I learn a new thing every day. So there you go. Yep. Uh, OK, so my number four, I'm going to go with Oh man, uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie. Okay. Chris. Oh man. So in, think <laughs> now, now hear me out. Okay. So in 1978, Cheech and Chung came out with uh, Up in Smoke, and I didn't actually didn't like that movie very much. I thought it was dumb. I didn't. I've like never it. seen it, but I know of it. But I've you, heard it. Right you so know of times. Cheech and Chung, right? You know of these two guys yeah, are two stoners, right? And like they just hang out and they do you know whatever they do drugs. And like I say, 1978, they came out with Up in Smoke, and it was a bit of a sensation because these guys had been going around the country and doing a stand up routine for quite a few years, right? And they were getting Before a lot of. Yeah, before they made movies. And so they, okay. were, they, they were getting some notoriety, you know, and they, they kind of, they were making a name for themselves. So they got to make a movie, Up in Smoke. And like I said, I didn't like it. I thought it was dumb. I thought it was stupid. And, but then they came out with a sequel called Cheech and Chong's Next Movie. And I actually really, really like this movie a lot. It's way better than the original. And the thing is that gets me about this movie that I like about it so much is that literally, I swear, you watch the movie from beginning to end, even if you were sitting there making notes, like if you if, if I told you, hey, you got to watch it and review it, you t- make notes, literally yeah. nothing happens in this movie. Like, you know how there's the old joke with Seinfeld, like it's Seinfeld. a show about nothing. Yep. This is a movie yep. about nothing. OK, nothing happens. The movie opens up. <laughs> they're trying to siphon gasoline out of a car because they can't afford gas. And then like they just hang out like like Chong's got this motorcycle and he puts it inside the living room and then just runs a pipe out and just sits there and just revs it. <laughs> that's all he does just revving it revving it like nothing happens and then they're like oh man oh man I wrote a song and then he's like oh yeah, I wrote a song too it's called Beaners and he sings this like nothing like they don't do anything there's no real plot like it's just they just go from like thing to thing hanging out like you know trying to look for some more roaches that are laying around so they could smoke them and like then they're drinking like it's just like nothing happens so about a year a year ago but I really love this movie it's funny there's some funny scenes in it um, uh-huh. there's the appearance of a couple people that I think were pretty much new at the time like Paul Rubens was in it you know, before he was Pee Wee Herman you know he did this um, uh, Edie McClurg was in it um, and before I think she had done anything else and Michael Winslow he's the guy that makes all the funny noises from Police Academy they were all in this movie like before they were anybody's and maybe it was all part of the that underground comedy scene from the 70s that they were in with Cheech and Chong maybe I don't know but about a year ago I made my wife watch this I'm like you gotta watch Cheech and Chong's next movie she's like okay whatever I'll watch whatever you want put it on. She lasted 10 minutes. She's like, you have to turn this off. Like, I, she's like, I can't watch this. This is absolute crap. So I had to turn it off. But for those in the know, for those that know it and those that like it, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Cheech and Chong's next movie, baby. It's number four. Wow. Um, you're, you're doing some deep cuts, Chris. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I like that movie a lot. <laughs> I, I've noticed this. That no, you've never shied away from uh, unpopular picks in the past and it holds true again tonight. So good on you. I, it's, it's, it's Cheech and Chong is the original Up in Smoke. Honestly, is that like a movie that I need to see? No, like I know that no, there's a lot of movies I no, need to. No, no, no not no, at all. No, no. If you're gonna watch any Cheech and Chong stuff, I'd say watch Cheech and Chong's next movie. 
Okay. Just and, and the re and the reason is again because you want to get that kind of counterculture thing that they were going after. For me, this movie is the best example of it because they made other movies too. You know, then they made um, Nice Dreams, and then they made Things Are Tough All Over, and then they made The Corsican Brothers. So they they made other movies, but this one was the one to me that captures their their sort of subversive counterculture, you know, humor and their mm-hmm. approach to life the best. And it was directed by Tommy Chong too. I remember that. But uh, no, you don't. This is if I was going to make you watch any of the Cheech and Chong movies, it'd be this one. But no, up in smoke, you don't have to watch it. No. Okay, fair enough. All right. Uh, so what is my number four? Uh, number three. You're number three now. Uh, number three. Sorry. So number three for me is um, probably, I, I don't know. It's weird that I, I, I throw out like movies like this occasionally. Like we we referenced, uh, or actually we did review on The Lion King and you liked it. Um, I kind of have a special affinity for animated movies. Yep. And I, I, I don't know why. I just always have. I love animated shows. You know, like I love like The Simpsons and Bob's Burgers and, you know, Rick and Morty. And, you know, I, I spend a decent amount of time actually watching animated stuff. I think it's, um I read a I read a book one time and it was talking about art forms in America, right? And for years and years and years, the only purely original art forms to ever originate out of America were cartoons and jazz. Yep. That was like the two things that we could say completely came from America. They weren't derivative of something else. Um, it came I've heard, from oh, sorry, I, we, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I've heard that before too. Yeah. But my question, what about country music? Where Doesn't country music come? It comes from the United States, well, I, doesn't it? I mean, I think country music does, but like you have to think like, uh, you know, that was derived from, you know, the mandolin guitar or, you know, instrumentation like mm-hmm. predominantly that you would find from like Eastern Asian cultures. Like yeah. I'm just guessing here. I, I, I yeah. don't know. But no, I'm just um, I just I just because I've heard that, too. I've heard that, you know, jazz is the only true American art form, you know, right. I, I think of country music. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's an interesting aside. Maybe we'll yeah. talk about it on another yeah, well, show or something. To, but uh, uh, so number five for me is it was released in 1999. It was directed by John Lasseter, Ash Brandon and Lee Unkrich. And it is Toy Story 2. Toy Story 1 is obviously fantastic. It at the time was one of the highest grossing animated films of all time. Maybe the most highest. I can't I can't remember to be honest with you. Toy Story 2 came out 48 months later, which uh, felt like an eternity whenever I was a kid and I was waiting for the second one to come out. Uh, it is honestly it's it's absolutely magical i think it might be just like i said with jurassic park i really mean with this one i think toy story 2 is the class of the entire pixar franchise um this was the first sequel that pixar ever did everybody said that it was super risky you know why would you you know they understood it from like a financial standpoint um that they would like to build on on the franchise and make it more of like a you know like a a bigger multi-movie type of thing Um, but it was such a perfect film in its first you know iteration that they thought it was incredibly risky to kind of tarnish the reputation of you know such a strong movie but toy story 2 is awesome i mean they they added new characters it was a completely different plot line you know jesse she brought like a more like a strong like feminine you know role that was like super super you know, strong and she was interesting and it appealed to boys. It appealed to girls. Um, there's so much stuff that goes into this where, um, it's just incredibly thought out. It has a lot of heart, a lot of emotion. Um, I mean, I, (laughs) there's a part of me that like wants to cry at like at the end or, you know, at certain parts of every single toy story movie. I just think they're so magical. Um, you know, even like toy story three, you know, toy story three was, was pretty dark too, but this is the most like just tear jerking, just beautiful. I think it captures like that weird, uh, that weird in between between like kids growing up and like the the relationship that they have with their toys, the relationship that they have with their parents and their adults and people around them. And um, I just think it's just so well done. And it's like I said, it's weird. It's weird that I would just have such an affinity for animated films. But um, I, I, I do inexplicably. And this is probably, like I said, the best one of the best, if not the best animated movie I've ever seen. So, 
Wow. What's that? You say something? No, I'm 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 shocked. So I have a question for you. Yeah. If I could. Yeah. Um, and now that was near number three, and you've got two more to go. Are I and you know not to tip too much, just say yes or no. Is either one of your second or number one movie the next store, the next uh, movie in that franchise? Actually, it's no. not. Okay. It's, you know, okay. My wife and I, yeah, my wife and I, we were discussing this too. I love Toy Story three too, and I, like I said, it, it was really really tough. And there's a lot of stuff that I have to get in here, but we're only doing five. So like I had to go from like a you know rewatchability, which one did I actually watch the most? That type of thing. Um, I, I wanted to give it a nod. It's in my honorable mentions, but no, mm-hmm. unfortunately, Toy Story three is not in the rest of my Only list. Only because, like, this is obviously in your generation, not mine. But because I got young kids, right? So I watched these movies, and I'm I'm a little surprised because I found Toy Story two to be kind of not very good. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't crazy about the story and that, but Toy Story three. I remember when it came out in 2010. I felt that it was not the best animated film that year i felt that it was the best film that year toy story 3 was phenomenal like it Mm -hmm. it it, it mind-bogglingly is good the story the way it tugs at your heartstrings you talk about kids relationship with their toys i think was much more explored in toy story 3 than it was in toy story 2 because the kid got older and moved on you know and i i think toy story 3 you mentioned about getting you know sort of emotionally attached to movies and you know you know getting you know sorry teary-eyed about movies toy story 3 would be one movie that could make a, a grown man cry if, if yeah. ever where there was a, 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 a an animated movie that could make a grown man cry it's toy story 3 it was so good you know so i'm, mm-hmm. I'm just so that's just my take on it as a Gen Xer who has young kids and we put these movies on and, you know, let them watch it. And I was like, holy smokes, is that ever good? So I'm just surprised that you went with two over three. That's all. And again, yep. I, I'm not, you know, as emotionally invested in these films as you are. They're your generation and rightly so. But that's just my take on it. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. Um, I mean, I can't I, I don't know how to articulate like as, as well as you did exactly why I like two over three as much. Like I, th- I think it's just more of a, like it was more in my wheelhouse whenever it came out originally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like that anticipation between the first and the second, just how how much I looked forward to it and how excited I was to see it. And, you know, like I was, you know, I was a kid who was almost a, maybe, maybe right in that 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 period where I was I was kind of getting too old for it, but I was still excited. You know what I mean? Like I was right on that cusp of like, you know, kind of becoming like a teenager and stuff like that. Like I was literally a preteen. So there were a lot of parallels that I drew from the movie to me being a child at the time. So like this is literally me hearkening back, you know, like you'll always romanticize movies uh, that came out whenever you're a kid. You know what I mean? And there's nothing there's nothing some millennial in a podcast or anybody else will ever tell you like you're just going to always gravitate towards that. And I think that's the relationship they have with Toy Story 2. I'm not going to say anything negative about Toy Story 3 too, because I could just as easily slot that in and, and gush about that movie too. But let's just agree that the franchise as a whole is just absolutely perfect. It really is like one of the great pieces of, of, you know, of movie making of like the last 25 years. I really mean that. I agree. Okay. So my number three, um, and this one might maybe will shock some people, but I'm going to go, because you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is Jaws, right? Yep. I'm going with Jaws 2. And here's the thing. So it came out in 1978. The original came out in 75, right? Yeah. And Jaws 2 always holds a very special place in my heart for a lot of reasons. I really, I like it. As far as sequels go, I think this movie actually really delivers. Um, but here's one of the reasons why it it's so special. And this is one of the things we always share on the podcast, things that are close to us. Okay, so a little thing that you don't know about me, Yancey. When I was, um, when I was nine years old in 1979, um, I moved to Venezuela for a year. I lived in, in uh, Maracaibo, Venezuela for a year because my dad got a job there. It was a year contract. So the whole family moved out. 
Mm-hmm. And they, they put us all up. This company put us up there and everything. So anyway, so I lived there for a year, which was quite an experience, you know, for a nine-year-old. And it was very culturally significant in my life. But the thing was, you got to remember, I'm a kid that loved like Saturday morning TV. I loved movies. I loved TV shows. I loved all that stuff. I get put into Maracaibo, Venezuela in 1979. Unlike today with the internet and everything, there's nothing English. I mean, nothing, nothing English on TV, no English movies, there's nothing. So my parents actually got a VCR, okay? And it was like one of the, it was like a prototype, one of the like ones that loads from the top. We actually had a VCR, so it was like a big deal back then. And we only, we went out and bought a couple movies, you know? So it's just like the same movies you watch over and over again, but one of them was Jaws 2. So mm-hmm. I watched it because I had no nothing else in English. I watched Jaws 2 probably like a hundred times if I've seen it <laughs> once, you know, like because yeah. I watched it over and over. And my my friend, I, I befriended um, another kid when I was there. He was from Texas. Okay. So he was American. So we both kind of, you know, Canadian American. We get along, you know, whatever. We both speak English. This is great. And we would watch this movie over and over and over and over and over again. We would go into the the pool, the swimming pool and like reenact the scenes stuff like we just love that movie so much so for me it's uh it, it's number three it's very close to my heart you know in terms of the sort of the the lexicon of film you know maybe not so much spielberg would have nothing to do with the movie they wanted him to direct it of course he's like there's no way i've done the definitive film in jaws the definitive shark film i'm done i'm moving on so they went out and got uh Jean-Oc schwartz to direct it he was like a tv director had done shows like night gallery and kojak and stuff like that and he took a totally different approach remember the best thing with jaws was you never see the shark you know like right. yeah and that's yep. what made it so scary in this one Jean-Oc schwartz said no 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 i want to show the shark constantly i want to see it right from the beginning i want to see it all the time all the time all the time and that's what he did right it was like overkill but it was actually it was pretty good it, the the idea this one i don't you've never seen it i'm assuming yancy i have not seen the second one no so the idea is is that it's still uh brody and his wife and it's like murray hamilton's there so they all their characters come back and just you know um brody's kids they're a little bit older now so one of them okay. one of them's a teenager so he gets together with all of his teenage friends and they go out day sailing in these boats and they decide to head way out to this place called cable junction. It's way out. There's all these rocks where I guess all the, you know, all the power lines and stuff is head out to. And that's where they all kind of, you know, meet up and they're going out there. And of course there's a shark and it decides to, you know, terrorize these teenagers. It's very, that was a big thing in the late seventies and early eighties, teenagers being terrorized by things. Uh, but it was really good. I actually liked it. And for all those reasons, um, it's always stuck with me. So uh, Jaws 2 is high on my list. High, number three. So there you so go. So I've, I've got a question for you, Chris. Sure. So we've talked about Jaws and, um, you know, just its its, its place as, as far as like, you know, one of the greatest films of all time. Just mm-hmm. how it's it's just wildly lauded as like one of the best films made. One of the best. It's one of my top three movies ever, Jaws. Yeah. yeah. So, so my question for you is, like you were talking about Jaws and you loved it so much when it first came out. And then it did come out with a sequel. So what is your general attitude? Like how do you approach whenever you see a movie that you do love or a film that you do love? and see that they're coming out with a sequel. Are you first initially excited or are you almost like scared because you do love something and you don't want it to be tainted by that? Because I don't know if we were planning on touching on this, but um, I've been burned pretty bad by sequels of movies that I did love that I thought were awful and actually kind of like they took some of the luster off of the original movie. Like how do you feel about you know sequels as a whole? Is it something that we should leave alone or do you like that continuation of a story? Well, I think I'm going to answer that best when we get to my number two and my number one. Okay. okay. So yep. we'll, we'll we'll circle back to that. But um, I don't think, especially when I was a kid, and I think it's different now that I'm an adult. Okay. So when I was a kid, like if I loved Jaws, they were making a second one. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I, I couldn't wait to see it. I thought it was great. Star Wars, right. they were sequel was coming out. 
And, and, and speaking of which, so I went to Venezuela for a year and I got back in May of 1980, just in time for the Star Wars sequel to drop. It was one of the first things I did when I got back to Canada was went to see the new Star Wars movie, you know. Um, so sequels as a kid, I think, were always were different than they were as an adult because I've been able to revisit some of them, you know, not on my list tonight, that were terrible. And as a result, I think over time, too, I personally believe Hollywood is getting less and less creative all the time. And so then when it comes to sequels, it's just like they're just cookie-cuttering them. I'm getting n- sort of numbed to the millennial sequels, okay? Because to mm-hmm. me, it's just like they just keep churning them out and then they try to trick you by it's not Jaws 2 or, it's, you know, it's it, they, they give it a different name. You know, it's like... It's not, um, uh, what's that, like Avengers. It's not Avengers 2. It's, no, it's Avengers, you know, Civil War or something like that. They give it never other yep, title. Yep. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, come on, guy. Like, it, to me, because now they call them a franchise of films. And it's like, eh, you know, you're just trying to make more money off the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's the, I think that's mostly the problem I have with, with franchises is I think a lot of times the intentions are not pure. I think it's simply capitalizing on the success of a past film. Yeah. Oftentimes, like, you'll see a sequel where it doesn't even have the same directorial staff. It doesn't have the same producers. It does not have the same writer. It is basically a, a, a company buying the rights to a name and using that name to capitalize and just make money off of it. They know that even if it's not a good movie, even if it's not critically acclaimed, people are going to go because they think that it's a continuation of the story, when oftentimes it's not. That's kind of what I have a problem with with a, a lot of sequels. Occasionally, you'll run into ones like, um, for instance, like you know, you mentioned like the Avengers, uh, Iron Man. Um, I do not like comic book movies. I've told you guys this. Um, most of them, I think, are just retreads of the same stories over and over again. They introduce characters and immediately expect you to care about them, and they suck. But like Iron Man, uh, all those movies are fantastic. They're well thought out. They're well acted. Robert Downey Jr. does a great job, and you can tell they put a lot of resources, intellectual resources, into making them good movies. But then you have other ones. You know, like the X-Men franchise, one of the most uneven comic book franchises I've ever seen where some of them are very good and other ones are just completely, you know, just they're they're just thrown together just to capitalize on that. So I definitely see what you're talking about. Like it, it can go both ways. But I think overall for me, I always err like on the side of caution when it comes to them. I don't get too mm-hmm. anticip- you know, in- anticipatory. I don't get too hyped up about it. I just kind of take it for what it is. So I think, you know, based on what you're saying, I'm going to come to the defense of Jaws too, because where like you're saying a lot of times some of these movies, you know, they just sort of make a movie based on the first one, like you're writing on its coattails. Like you said, different producers, different director, all that stuff. So Jaws right. 2 did have a different director like I said it was Gene X Schwartz it wasn't uh, Spielberg but it was produced by David Brown and Richard D. Zanuck the same producers of the first film and it was written by Carl Gottlieb and Howard Sackler who both wrote the first movie too so there was a lot of holdovers to this one and as a result I think that's why it packs a little bit more punch for me Mm. okay well said okay on to your number two what do you got all right, so my number two is Mad Max Fury Road. So we know that it just came out a couple of years ago, and it won essentially every single award known to mankind. Uh, it is a, and it's obviously a really, really good movie. But that it was a spinoff of an Australian dystopian action media franchise, where uh, it began in 1979, Chris. So right before you were born, or wait, no, you were born 1970, right? Uh, yeah, 1969, I was born. 1969, sorry. Yeah. So I'm 10 years off. Uh, so 1979, and uh, it was followed by three films. So you had Mad Max 2 that came out in 91, Mad Max Beyond, and it was, basically everybody calls that one Thunderdome in 1985, and then Mad Max Fury Road came out well, in 2015. Yeah. Now, just to go back again, uh, Mad Max 2, it was actually, I remember when it came out, they called it The Road Warrior. Okay, I actually did not know that. Okay, because there was Mad um, Max, and then there was The Road Warrior, and that was the sequel to it. And then it went to Mad Max 3 Beyond Thunderdome. But okay. anyway, sorry. 
Yep. Well done, Chris. Just because I was there. <laughs> I remember it. That's all. <laughs> yep. Uh, just for posterity's sake, like Chris likes to make yeah. sure that we get we, we dot our T's and cross our I's. Yeah. Uh, so I have an interesting relationship with this movie. It is a very new movie, and this is actually this kind of sounds like a cop out, and it, it goes with a criteria that's completely different than the other films that I I listed on the show tonight. Um, I watched Mad Max Fury Road first. I watched it when it first came out in theaters, and I've watched it half a dozen times since then. Um, it won all the awards because it was deserving of winning all the awards. It is an amazing, amazing film. Absolutely creative. Uh, just. I, I could gush about this film for hours. It was it was critically acclaimed. It was uh, you know it, it didn't actually like you know go off in the box office, but everybody who watched this movie really appreciated it as being something that was just so seminal and so completely original. You know what I mean? Just really interesting you know action figures and costumes and interactions between the characters and just a cool ass movie. So whenever I watched the first one, to be honest with you, this is you know there are huge huge gaps in my pop culture uh, zeitgeist like knowledge. I didn't realize that this was a sequel. I thought it was just a just a movie, and you know, and I think millennials are guilty of that a lot, Chris. Like you know this, like we're like, oh, this movie is so great. You're like, yeah, well, that's literally just a remake. Like you said, they stole this idea and they're just repackaging it for you know for whatever reason. So I went and back and I watched all of these movies. It oh, took me a good. while. See, I was gonna I was gonna ask you that when you mentioned this. Yes. I was gonna go. Have yes. you ever gone back and watched these? So this is great. So go ahead. Yeah. So. I, I went back and watched them, and I was surprised at how excellent the originals were. Yeah, really, really excellent. And I think that this one gets uh, Mad Max Fury Road. It gets a lot of the credit um, just because it's the newest one. You know, obviously, as far as an aesthetic standpoint, it looks the nicest. It had the biggest budget and everything. Um, but every single film in this franchise is so freaking cool. It is so well done. Um, the writing is amazing. Mel Gibson's awesome in it. If I have one complaint about Mad Max Fury Road is that they didn't somehow incorporate Mel Gibson's character or have him actually take the title role. You know what I mean? Um, Hardy does a really great job with this as like the lead character. He doesn't speak much, I think, or at all. Um, it's still a really good movie, but it would have nice to see kind of that continuation, even though it was, you know, something 30 years or, or, or something like that beforehand. Um, it's really interesting, though, that you would see a sequel, like I mentioned with uh, Prometheus and the Alien sequ- uh, the Alien franchise, that they would go so long and that the original uh, you know, writers and directors would actually want to be a part of this. Um, but it, that's something that did happen. It worked out. You know, George Miller and Byron Kennedy basically created a masterpiece out of nothing. And you know, they looked out in a lot of ways as far as the production goes with this film. Like they were going to you know, record in a different area and like something didn't work out with weather and logistics. And there was just so many different things involved with this. But – Everything was pulled together. They were able to secure more funding later on by having to push back production. And essentially what came from it was an absolute masterpiece that kind of wrapped up this whole franchise in just like one of the most satisfying ways I think I've ever seen. Like I said, so it's weird that I would watch the last installment first and then want to go back. But it gave me such an appreciation for the original films and actually made me like the new one even more because you could tell, like I said, same writers, same directors, you know, a lot of the different actors and stuff, obviously, but there were people who had a vision where they treated this like their baby. And you could tell they deeply cared about this story, about this world that they had created. And it just, it it honestly is masterful. I can't, uh, if there's a movie in the last, you know, four or five years that has come out that you have not seen um, or, you know, if I had to recommend one, for somebody that doesn't really know a whole lot about movies or, you know, is like me and, and, and misses a lot of stuff, this would be the movie that I think everybody should go back and see. It's that freaking good. Very good. Okay, uh, my number two is uh, – now, I don't know if you've ever seen – now, you talk about these comic book movies. I know you said you don't like them, right? But Correct. the original comic – do you have any idea what the original comic book movie of all time is? Superman. Yes, Superman from 1978. Okay, so, and it came out and it was a big deal. Like, everyone loved it. You know, it was great. Christopher Reeve was awesome in it and all this stuff. And then, you know, they're, oh, they're going to make a sequel to it. 
And the sequel is Superman 2, and it makes my list at number two. I love Superman 2. It's way better than the original. And one of the cool things I like about it is it builds on certain things that happen in the first. Have you ever seen the original Superman movie from 70? I haven't. No, nope, okay. I haven't. At the very beginning of the movie, it, they're, they're, they're on the planet Krypton, and there's these three guys. There's like General Zod, and then there's Ursa Non, and they're, they're like these criminals. And what they're doing is, is they're banishing them. They put them in like this glass thing and then they banish them out into space. Okay. And okay. whatever, you know, that happens. And then the rest of the movie goes on and such everything happens. It's just an afterthought. Right. And then you get to Superman too. And what happens is, is in this one, Superman is, you know, he's Clark Kent, Clark Kent during the day. Right. And then what happens is, is that he actually falls in love with, um, with Lois Lane. Okay. And then he decides the only way he can be with her is if he renounces his superheroes. Uh, you know, all of his, his superpowers, right? So he does that. He goes up to his like fortress of solitude and he gets like this crystal and then he, it, it makes him lose his, his powers. So he's now a human. He's a mortal. Okay. And that's great. He's going to continue his life with her. Life is good. And then all of a sudden those three people from the first movie that were banished escape and they decide that they want revenge and they oh. realize that Krypton has blown up, but they know that one person got away. And that was Superman. So they come to Earth to find him because they want to get him. And they get there and they realize, you know what? Earth is a playground. We can destroy this place. And they start walking all over everybody, right? And Superman realizes, oh, no, I need to get my powers back somehow to fight these guys. And it's just it's just good. I don't know. It was really it was a really troubled production, which usually ends up with a really, really bad movie um, because the original director, he got they had to get they, they had to replace him and all this. But the movie is really, really good as far as action films go. And Terrence Stamp gives the performance of his career as General Zod. He's so mm -hmm. good. Outstanding off the charts. He's so good. And uh, so I saw this movie, obviously, when I was a kid. It came out in 1980. So I was 10. I thought it was great, you know? And um, and I just really, I've always, always, always loved Superman 2. So yeah, that's why it's that high. It's number two on my list. Love this movie. So is Superman 2, I mean, is it, I'm thinking of like Adam West Batman, all right? Mm -hmm. So like you need to like steer me in the right direction. As far as like the acting and like the actual way that the film is shot, is this like a serious movie? Is it, is it like a drama? Like yes. where does this fall in? So like so, it's like an actual movie movie It's kind a of thing? movie movie. It's serious. These guys are in downtown Manhattan throwing buses around and smashing the place up and everything like that. And the thing is, the, the, the one thing that makes, that gives it some, a bit of a different spin is Christopher Reeve because he uses humor in his role very subtly in places. And mm -hmm. just in his performance, very, very subtle with some of his humor. He was a much, much better actor than I think people gave him credit for. And because you think of, oh, he's Superman. What does that take? He gets to wear tights and a cape. That's not acting. But he is actually quite good in it. Quite good in it. You know who's a, who is like a, like a robot playing Superman is, what was the guy's name that did the, the, the remake that came out in, in your generation? He's like ben a Affleck? No, no, he was Batman. No, he's Batman. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. He, he looked like Christopher Reeve. That's why he got the role. Couldn't act a lick. Couldn't act if he tried. I remember he was had a small role in Mean Girls too. His name escapes me. It doesn't matter. It's a millennial thing. But, <laughs> but so mean, man. I know his mom. His mom cares. I know his mom's listening too. I'm sure. Uh, but but this would know. It, like it's actually a serious movie. There's a lot of action in it. It's great. And and like I say, it packs a punch uh, for a sequel. I think it's better than the original one. The original one was good, but it was a little bit too long. And it was a little just too, there was too much backstory in the first one too, whereas this one gets right down to, to, to business right off the hop. So I, I like it. Superman two, number two for me. 
Onto your number wow. one, which is, which we know is sort of the number two because Empire Strikes Back is up there. But what's your number one on this Correct. list? Uh, really quickly, just uh, two honorable mentions. Uh, Terminator 2, we have to talk about that. I don't know if you're going to talk about it, but I just wanted to give it a nod. It is it is fantastic, and it deserves all the credit. Uh, and The Dark Knight, we've reviewed it a couple of weeks ago. You guys can go back and listen to that. Um, Dark Knight is fantastic, directed by Christopher Nolan. came out in 2008, and it was absolutely fantastic. It was like the, pro- the crown jewel of that Batman franchise. I still think it might be one of the best Batman, if not the best Batman movie of all time. Um, and then, so number one for me is Aliens, directed by James Cameron. It came out in 1986. Um, I mentioned Prometheus at the top. Uh, Prometheus came out much, much later, and it's it's the same. It operates in the same universe, uh, but it's kind of a different story. It's more of like a side story that gives you a little bit more back info and kind of explains, uh, you know, origins and you know like you, you just mentioned with superman it's a little bit more backstory-ish which i think a lot of people kind of uh they rebuke the story in itself and it, it's super ambiguous so it's a little bit more difficult to understand but aliens in itself is <laughs> it's just one of the most badass movies ever created let's get real um a brief synopsis after floating in space for almost 60 years, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character is found by a deep space salvage team. Uh, they find that there's only one survivor. It's a nine year old girl named Newt. And uh, these Marines are basically doing everything they can to fight off hundreds of aliens that have invaded this colony. Um, I was reading Roger Ebert's uh, review back in 1986 when I first wrote it. And I said, the ad for Aliens claims that this movie will frighten you as few movies ever have. And for once, the ads do not lie. This movie was so intense that it creates a problem for me as a reviewer. Do I praise its craftsmanship or do I tell you that it left me feeling completely wrung out and unhappy? It's been a week since I've seen it and I still have nightmares. So that, I think, perfectly encapsulates exactly what this film does. It is badass. It is amazing. It makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It makes you jump. It makes you scream. It makes you want to cry. It makes you have, you know, nervous convulsions and like ticking. And I remember the first time I saw it, like I'm literally just sitting there and like my my legs are shaking off of the floor. Like I'm just it is so well done. It it perfectly encapsulates just like a, what a horror thriller alien sci fi film is supposed to be. There is nothing wrong about it. Everything is freaking awesome about this movie. You can watch it over and over again. And what's like super interesting is the gap between the sequel and the original, 86 months. You do not see that type of gap, that type of layover in a lot of sequels. And, you know, it can go both ways. Um, I've, I've referenced this many times. The Matrix is my favorite film of all time. Actually, this past weekend, while I was hanging out with Sammy, he and I were watching The Matrix together. And we started talking about the sequels and about how pissed off we were that the sequels were so bad. Especially when you consider the fact that there was such a huge gap of time in between the first Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, right? You would expect a movie that had a ton of success and then have a huge layover till the next film that they would have taken the time to get it right. And that's not always the case. Oftentimes, the more time you have to meddle, the more times you have to screw up the, the, the story. That was not the case with Aliens. Uh, James Cameron did an absolutely amazing job. It's about as close to a perfect film, especially a sci-fi film, as you can actually get. Um, it's just, it's, it's masterful. It's a classic. Chris, I know you've seen it. My question is, have you seen it in theaters? And, uh, like, where does it kind of stand for you as like, you know, overall sci-fi films of all time? What do you think about it? Oh man, you're going to hate me. I've never seen it. I, I don't know what to say. I know. How is that even, how is that even possible? I know. I, I I was never, I, I, I liked the first movie. I thought it was good, but it didn't like, I didn't love it. And so as a result, I never continued on with the franchise. I never watched another one. Wow, that is so wild. I know it's weird, eh? That's actually really. I mean, that. I mean, that's fine. There's, there's a yep. million, you know, really popular movies. I've never seen The Godfather. I've never seen Back to the Future. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, f me, right? Um, 
there's there's one little more excerpt that uh, I had read on a what, what site is it? EmpireOnline.com. Just reading about this movie, and it, and it kind of encapsulates what's going on with this. It says that Dave Cameron's or excuse me, Dave Cameron's genius here lies in manipulating the tension, the beautifully structuring the switches from buildup to pure carnage to waiting to action. That is literally what makes this so like so special right there's a million things happening and a ton of stuff jumping at the screen then there is nothing happening then there's all this noise and just chaos and then there's just the sheer panic and like the the still build up and like the hearing people breathe and like you know losing control of their emotions like everything about this is just so perfect chris um Man, this almost makes me want to change up my movie for tonight and, and have us watch this movie. Maybe we'll do that. But um, I, I think it's the best, uh, the second best, I, I will say that, the second best sequel of all time. It's just, it's so perfect. It's timeless. Um, I, I know oftentimes, like, a, you'll see, like, older movies. They'll they'll have, like, a short run, especially, like, Hall- Halloween movies and stuff. Like, they'll play them in, in theaters. I would love to see this movie, like, be shown in, like, an IMAX theater or something. And I would love to take my wife for this because it is that freaking good. It's the perfect date movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny because a lot of times you always hear the same thing over and over again. It's like a mantra, right? Like sequels are never as good as the original. You know, we hear right. that. But yep. there's there's some examples that we've given tonight. My numbers four to one definitely, I think, is my opinion, are all much better than the original film. So I think there's lots of examples where the sequel's better than the original film. Uh, but just for the most part, that's not the case. But there certainly are examples. So uh, for me, for my number one, okay, uh, when you were gone, when you were, I remember when you ran into you know the hurricane when all that stuff happened to you back in September, and we had Caveman yep. come on the show and, and sit in for a couple of shows. One of the uh, topics that we did was our biggest movie disappointments of all time. And my number one was Star Trek The Motion Picture. Because I used to love the show in the 70s. It was on in reruns. I used to watch it after school every day. And I really loved the the Star Trek. And and then when I heard they were coming out with a movie, I was so excited. And then the movie came out and it was like, oh my God, this movie's awful. It was so bad. It was so, so bad. It was boring. And then they said, oh, we're going to make a sequel to it. And I thought, oh boy, this is going to be worse. And uh, so, but I did go to the theater to see it in 1982. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the greatest sequel ever made and that's star trek to the wrath of khan oh it's so good so whereas the first movie is dumb and boring this one is full of action right from the get-go and it is great and kind of like what i mentioned with superman 2 that kind of borrowed elements of the first movie to build on superman 2 this but this thing is a little bit more unique what it does is star trek 2 the wrath of khan builds on an old episode of Star Trek. And there was an episode in 1967 called Space Seed. And in it, there was Khan, right? And he was mm-hmm. this tyrant or whatever. And then they they send him into exile, much like in Superman 2, right? They send this guy out into exile. And in Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan, he comes back and wants revenge on Kirk. And he wants revenge right. on the crew of the Enterprise. And it's like, it's just so good. And Ricardo Montalban is the great Ricardo Montalban is in it, right? Playing Khan. And he played the, the role originally in Space Seed, the episode. And so he reprises his role and he's so good. And, and just some of the things that are going on with Kirk and things like that. The movie is just so, so, so good. And it was, it was a big success at the time. I remember watching it and just being enamored with it. And I was just so, the thing is that made me feel so, so good about it was like all the magic of the Star Trek uh, 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 show and all the episodes, all the fun that I had after school every day at five o'clock when I would when I'd come home, I'd play some road hockey. That's what we do here in Canada. Uh, and then at five o'clock, I would watch Star Trek, an episode of Star Trek before dinner every day. And it, it gave me so much magic. I loved that show when I was a kid. You know, I was like seven, eight years old, just loved watching that every day. And then all that magic was sucked out of me 
with Star Trek the Motion Picture. But this was like a redemption. It was like, mm. yes, this is what Star Trek used to be. It's so fun. It's just great. There's action. Yeah, you watch it. Some of it's cheesy. The con and all this stuff. It's just like over the top cheesy. But that doesn't <laughs> matter. That's yeah. what the original series was all about. And it captured the magic again. And it was funny because it took Gene Roddenberry getting basically booted off this project to make that happen. But it did. They were able to really capture the magic. I thought it was great. There's, you know, so many things in it. Like, I remember there was, a, um, I think they call her Savik, Savik. And it was, um, whatchamacallit, Kirstie Alley plays the role of that. And, and, and they call her Mr. Savik. I remember, even though she's a girl, she's a, she's a Vulcan as well. And, of course, one of the biggest scenes in it is that Spock dies. Right. And yep. and then they have to send him out in space and all this. And then, of course, I just and I, I a real tear tear. Oh, it way. was oh, it was great. It was great. And, and it wasn't even that long ago. It was oh, probably about two weeks ago. I do this all the time. About two weeks ago, I was talking to somebody, an acquaintance, um, you know, where I work. And then I, I made a comment and I said, well, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And she's like, that is so true. I said, well, it's, it's from Rathacon. I can't take credit for it. <laughs> it's like, I, I quote, I quote Rathacon in my daily life. It's so funny. But no, oh, the movie is so, 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 so good. So uh, Star Trek II, the Rathacon, the greatest sequel ever made, hands down. Other than, of course, you know, Empire Strikes Back, which we said on yeah. the top. It's, but, it's Chris, it's rare that I've, I've, I see movies that you are really high on. I've mm-hmm. seen this movie probably three or four times. It was on Netflix for a little while. Oh, yeah. So you and- watched it, right? Yeah, yeah, I have watched it. And one of the things I was actually really surprised by was how cool the space scenes looked. Like, yes, do do I know that it's it's just like models and stuff like that? Yes, but the actual space scenes, I I was super, super impressed with them. Like, really, really impressed with what they were they were able to accomplish. You know, you know, so long ago with such limited resources, it was actually a really cool ass movie. Like, top, like you know, from front to end, it was just really, really, really good movie. And one of the best things of it was one of my favorite guys of all time, George Takei. Oh my. Oh, but yeah, there you go. So he's in it. So it's so good. And, and, and so I'm curious, though. Uh, so you saw this movie. Obviously, you liked it. Did you ever see Star Trek, the motion picture, the original? No, no, okay. I haven't. Well, just stay away from it because you don't want to watch it because it's stupid. Uh, anyway, so there it is. Our top five sequels of all time. A lot of personal favorites there. Not so much of the textbook stuff that I always get accused of. So, you know, this is what it is. I, I like what I like. I don't know why people think sometimes think I just go textbook because I like what I like and it is what it is. Although this one, I guess, maybe would be a little bit textbook. I think everybody would agree. Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is it. But uh, anyway, time now to have some fun with Yancey. Okay, I'm going to have some fun with you, as always, Yancey. And obviously, we're going to stick to sequels. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to name a movie. You just name the sequel. That's it. Okay, now the the rule is, though, if the movie has more than one sequel, I just want the first sequel. You know what I'm saying? So if I I say The Godfather, I just want to hear The Godfather Part Two. Okay, I don't care about three or whatever. Okay, and okay. The, but the hitch is, I want the complete title because I know you millennials, like I said, like giving these long titles to your movies, right? And all you're gonna, these, you're gonna screw me so bad on this. No, no, <laughs> I no, it's, it's easy. I'm gonna give you a movie, you give me the sequel, but I want the full title of the sequel. Okay, okay? that's it. We're gonna start with an easy one. It's a millennial film, Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Thirteen. No, it's the Ocean's Eleven. What comes after Eleven? I thought that was too simple. <laughs> Ocean's 12. Jeez, I tell you. Oh, this is awesome. Okay, easy one. It's from when you were a kid. This movie came out. Home Alone. What's the sequel to Home Alone? Home Alone. Uh, what is Home Alone 2? Um, what is the tagline to that movie? Ugh. Lost in New York. Okay. Home yeah. Alone 2, Lost in New York. 
Okay, another, another easy one. I'm gonna, I'm trying to give you some millennial ones here. Analyze this. I've never even heard of the the original. <laughs> Came out in 1999. Analyze this. You know what the sequel to Analyze This is? Analyze that. Yes, you are correct. There are you, you serious? That was a that was a joke. Guess. Okay. Okay. So you guess and you get one right. Okay. Guess. Here's an easy one. Raiders of the Lost Ark. What's the sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark? Um, the something Lost Skull or something. Ah, oh, jeez. Yes. I just want. <laughs> I, we do not occupy the same space. We are not in the same studio. I want to go through the microphone and strangle you. Sometimes it's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Okay. Oh, of course. All of right. Course. Come on. Here's an easy one. One of your favorite movies of all time. You love the animation so much. What's the sequel to The Lion King? The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. Oh, there we go. See, see, I throw an easy one at you. Here's another millennial one that's super easy for you. Ready? The Born yeah. Identity. The Born Identity. What's the sequel? I've never seen any of these. I know there's The Born, there's The Born Identity, The Born Ultimatum. The Born Supremacy or something like that. I'm going to go with Ultimatum. No, it's The Born Supremacy. Okay. Uh, okay, here's one. The Silence of the Lambs. What's the sequel to The Silence of the Lambs? I didn't know there was a sequel. <laughs> it's Hannibal from 2001. All right, 10 years was that, later. Was that pretty good too? Was that pretty good? No, nah, not really. Okay. No, okay. Here's an easy one. Millennial film. It's a comedy. Meet the Parents. What's the sequel to Meet the Parents? Meet the Fockers. Yes, very good. All right, yes. we're going back to Gen X now. We're going back a ways. This is From fun. 1985, Teen Wolf. What was the sequel to Teen Wolf? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's Teen Wolf 2, but it's it's spelled T-O-O. As we always called it, it all my, me and my friends, it was Teen Wolf also. So Teen oh Wolf 2. Oh, my God. Two, okay. <laughs> you already mentioned this one, so this is easy, but I want the full title. Of the sequel to Dumb and Dumber. Um, Dumb and Dumber-er, but I don't know what the tagline is. Oh, wait, I do. It's like bigger, no, bigger, larger, and uncut or something. Yeah, that's South Park. Nice try. It's dumb. <laughs> Jeez, I tell you. Man, oh, man, you kill me. I'm giving you stuff in your wheelhouse. It's Dumb and Dumberer when Harry met Lloyd. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. All right, here's another one. One of your, it's from your, for the the movie. This movie original came out in your is, favorite year, 1999. The Blair Witch Project. What's the sequel to the Blair Witch Project? Oh, the Blair Witch Project. Um, the bitch is back. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. You're right. Congratulations. <laughs> no, it's Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two. Okay, it's, these I, I'm just feeding you these. Here's here's the mo most millennial film that you'll ever find: The Fast and the Furious. What's the sequel? Uh, Chris, I watched The Fast and the Furious once, and I was like, okay, whatever. And then 17 years later, they're still making movies, and I have never seen a single one of them. Uh, is it Tokyo Drift? Is that the second one? <laughs> too Fast, Too Furious is the sequel. Thank God, that's okay. so cool. Going back to Gen X now. I'm going to go back and forth here, all right? National Lampoon's Vacation. What was the sequel to National Lampoon's Vacation? Mm, 
I don't know. And the thing is, I thought you would at least maybe say Christmas Vacation. I thought maybe you might come in with that since you love that movie so much. It's European Vacation. Okay? Came out in 85. All right. Okay. We're going back. And I know that you know, I know you know this one because this is an ultimate crossover and it's an ultimate example of where a Gen X movie is great and you millennials go and screw it up with a sequel. Okay? The Blues Brothers came out in 1980. What's the sequel to The Blues Brothers? Oh, wow. This is going to be really bad. It came out in the year 2000. Oh. It's going to kill me. It's the Blues Brothers 2000. I, I did know that. Jeez, you did I not did know, know that. You didn't know that. All right. I didn't know that. You're right. Again, here's a millennial <laughs> film for you. Charlie's <laughs> Angels. What was the sequel to Charlie's Angels? Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Oh, he gets one, and it's a millennial film. Good for you. Okay, here's a tough one for you. I'm going all the way back to one of my favorite years back in 1984, and the movie is Breakin'. What's the sequel to Breakin'? I've only mentioned it 12 million times on this podcast. What's the Breakin'? Sequel to, yeah, what's the sequel to Breakin'? Chris, I have no idea. Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo. Oh my god! One of those stupid ass movies. Yes, oh, man. Shab- stupid ass. It's Shabadoo Boogaloo <laughs> trip or whatever. And the best thing was about Breakin' and Breakin' Two Electric Boogaloo is that they both came out the same year. The way it came out in 1984, it made sequel right away. 1984. Yeah, they didn't rush that one through. <laughs> they spent their time. Okay, the last one. You one of your favorite artists of all time is Prince. Purple Rain had a sequel. What was it? Oh my god! This is so embarrassing. This is so embarrassing. It was Graffiti Bridge. They made I even own I own the album. You, oh my <laughs> God, I tell you, this would have given best. me thirty seconds. I could have worked through it. I could have come up with it. Oh man, this is the best. Though. But thirty seconds would be resulting in like so many, you know, wrong answer buzzers. It's so good. Oh man, that's a lot of fun. So there you go. That was I thought I thought it was fun. You know, I, I hope I you know hope you know, you had a good time too. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a. Uh... A lot more to guys. Listen, whenever you guys are listening at home, I, I I trust that like there's no pressure on you guys to get it correct, right? It is increasingly difficult with each passing week. Whenever I don't perform admirably on this on these quizzes, this is hard. Okay? <laughs> I know it's hard. My favorite thing is getting tweets and emails from people saying I'm literally screaming at my car. That's, you know when guys, I'm listening to the podcast, it's they're like I know the answer, Yancy. We know it. It's so funny. That's what makes this so, show so great. So okay, so now what we're gonna do is we're gonna shift next week to a millennial film. So what I'm going to need you to do is nominate a film for me to watch and we'll come back and we'll we'll review it like we always do on the show. So what movie would you like to throw at me? What movie can I nominate for me to watch and for us to come back and 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 to discuss? Okay, so I'm going to have you watch a film that's a little bit newer. It's from 2015. It stars Colin Farrell and it is called The Lobster. The Lobster. I've never even heard of this movie. Uh, so has literally no one else. It didn't okay. exactly do good at the box office, but it is a very, very smart, very good, very heartfelt movie. So okay, so you like this movie. I don't like Colin Farrell. I don't think he's much, but uh, this will be interesting. I'm going to watch this for sure. I'll come back like I said. I didn't even heard, knew this movie existed. So I will watch the movie. We'll I'm come back friend. next week. It's all good. When we'll, we'll we'll review it together. It'll be great. Um, I, will, I, I take up the challenge, my friend. I challenge you with some of these questions. I'll accept the challenge in return. It sounds good. I'll tell awesome. you what, though, until next time, and if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, Twitter should mention that because the housekeeping out of the way. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at C McBrian. You can reach Yancey at Yancey Eaton. Uh, make sure you head over to popgoesyourworld.com. All of our contact information is there. Shoot us an email. Contact us on Twitter. We'll, uh, we'll definitely try and work it into the show if we can. Um, that's for sure. And uh, for Yancey Eaton, this is Chris McBrian saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Oh,